We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast coming at you Thursday, late afternoon, evening. It's uh, March 9th. Wolves played on Tuesday against the Sixers. They play again on Friday uh, against Brooklyn at home. And today, Thursday, uh, Carl Anthony Towns kind of came back to practice. He was at practice, didn't necessarily practice with with the group um, as a whole, which I think is... Somewhat an, an arbitrary uh, marker in, in this return process. Uh, I got Britt Robson here from MinPost as my as my guest today. Britt, I'll play a couple a couple sound clips from it, but the the general uh what you missed as you were coming back from Milwaukee yourself was you know, Finch talking a little bit about uh Carl being back out there uh doing one on simulating one on o, two on o type stuff kind of like what we watch at the end of practice you know when the players yeah. just working with their their player development guys so that's what you missed I don't even know is this at all even intriguing to you are you just bored by this this whole time no no let's hit a clip so I uh I'll react to that I've already seen a little bit of the uh you know the the usual social media overreaction so uh <laughs> why don't we um just I'll, I'll hear what Finch has to say. That'll be interesting. And then if Jaden has anything to say, that'd be good too. Cool. Um, so this was just Finch kind of, John just straight up asked him, when will will Cap practice? When do you think he might practice with you guys? Or? I don't know. You yeah. know, I mean, uh, I would imagine, you know, we could get him into some five one zero stuff coming up here soon, but I wouldn't, you know, again, I haven't, I haven't had that conversation yet. Sure. Yeah. So that is kind of, it's kind of same same line, Britt, where it's they Finch don't know. doesn't want to overpromise anything. That clearly by that comment, what he was saying was, I'm not going to say anything that'll get everybody on a knife point mm-hmm. and uh, be all set to roll. Just let me run this team a little bit. When he's in the lineup, I'll let you know. Exactly. Um, I thought this, uh, later on in the the media scrum, I thought Jace had a good question that actually tapped into something you've been kind of philosophizing here over over the past month um here's jace asking finch another question about cat is there a date chris with cat where 
Oh, you missed the cat section. We're, 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 I know. I know. We moved off to the cat section. I know. Is, is there a time that would come where you would say there's not enough time left? This doesn't make sense. Oh, God. That's a great question. I mean, listen, I I mean, for what, like, regardless of what happens between here and the rest of the season, like, you know, getting cat with this group is such a priority just to see what we have. You know what I mean? Like, I just think so. I, I wouldn't say it's like, ah, it's not worth it. You know, unless we were to fall completely out of the race. But even at that point, we need to discover for off-season evaluation, tweaking, strategy, game plan, whatever it might be, we, we got to see what, what this thing looks like. So there know? wouldn't be a situation where it's like, there's four games left, we need to win three of them, Cats going to minutes restriction, like, this isn't oh, you fair to him or um, us, like... I mean, at that point in time, I think it's more about the risk that, like, how, you know, is it going to be disruptive if that happens? Right. Yeah, that's if, that, if that's what you're talking true. about, yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I, listen, it's it's hard to tell, you know, all NBA player to not play. So especially one that you've been wanting to play all year. So I don't I don't see that really. You know what I mean? Like we feel that Cat's able to help us regardless of what the situation. We, you know, if it's a minutes restriction, then you know maybe you're strategic and you know he comes off the bench to start with that, depending on what the minutes are. But you know that I you know I think he would be open to anything at that point in time. You know, so the Britt Robinson theory. Cat coming off the yeah. bench to return. There you, there you go. What, what's your, well, what's he your covered reaction? covered all the bases. So he covered mine too. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, but, I mean, I think what it boils down to is, like everybody else, um, Finch doesn't know really what the scenario is to lay out. And uh, when you say something, people can seize on it and interpret it in different ways. And if the player suffers a setback or comes back quicker, what happens to what you said gets spun in a direction, the player and his agent, mm -hmm. the fan base, whatever. I mean, there's just no winning situation for Finch to come out boldly and say anything here because it, a, it might not happen. B, if it does happen, he's locked into something that he may not want to be locked into. Sure. Um, so, look, <laughs> every fan base and every franchise that has had a player out for a period of time goes through this dance. There's a segment of the fan base that says, oh, he's a pussy trade him, screw him, and he's not any good anyway, or, you know, oh, you know, give the guy a break, he's trying to come back, all segments in between. I have a good friend who follows the Clippers who says that Kawhi hate and love is like the dominant narrative almost all the time on that team. Um, and for very good reasons, obviously. Sure. He's a tremendous player when he plays. He doesn't play all the time. They are floundering relative to expectations. Um, and a lot can be said the same way here for the Wolves, except the difference I see it as is that the ceiling is higher if Cat comes back and the floor is lower. So it is a risk. If Cat comes back and is rusty or has the problems he had with Gobert, 
at the beginning of the season, very logical problems, by the way, to have a guy with, you know, size 20 feet running around trying to cover the perimeter Mm -hmm. while everybody else is kind of comfortable with the way Rudy now protects the rim and everybody else, you know, siphons in at different places. Um, There are ways where Cat can, can screw this team going down the stretch in ways that aren't necessarily his fault Mm -hmm. or or even necessarily because he's physically not able to go but also it could be because it is his fault or also it could be because he isn't physically able to go Mm -hmm. there are just way too many moving pieces on this to have any kind of definitive situation the reason i have been interested in having cats start coming off the bench is because a it's less pressure on him at the same time that it gives the team continuity to do what it needs to do. And it gives Finch flexibility to say that we're bringing him along into the status quo. It's like a car coming onto the freeway while everybody else is going 70 miles an hour. Mm. If the, if the car can't go 50 miles an hour, right. there's a problem. Uh, so just set it up. And we have a precedent for this. D'Lo, you know, took that injury to basically not play for Ryan Saunders a couple of years ago. And when he came back, he was blended into the second unit. And he kind of liked it that way because he wanted to get his feet wet. Rubio was playing well. Rubio was jealous of the starting role. That forestalled any of that. Um, It's no secret that Chris Finch loves Kyle Anderson and loves having Kyle Anderson as a security blanket, even more than Mike Conley as a security blanket. Uh, When times get rough, it's not Ant, it's not Gobert. He puts the ball in Kyle Anderson's hands. Um, If anybody is going to be penalized now that Conley's on the team, if anybody's going to be penalized by Cat coming back and starting right away or getting the most minutes possible, it's Kyle Anderson. And so, again, that's just one of the many scenarios and many reasons why uh, <laughs> let's just see how it all plays out. I mean, first of all, Finch does seem kind of legitimately concerned that Cat may not be, you know, calf injuries are strange. And they take a long time to come back from. And whether you think this was proper of Cat or not, he didn't say anything. He didn't clarify the record when Woj and Shams were coming out with very optimistic scenarios. But he never said, yes, I'll be back then. And after a while, he was saying, look, that was way too optimistic a scenario. Um, So right now it's a big muddle. Right now... There's really not a great, clean scenario to say this is the way it should go, A, B, C, D, um, let alone this is the way it will go, A, B, C, D. I think the the D'Lo point um, when, when he came back from his injury and, and what played out there is, is relevant here because Finch was the coach and D'Lo came off the bench for the first 15 games. He came off the bench for 15 games after yes, returning. he did, and they played really well. The they Wolves were, were benefited by Rubio being happy hmm. being in the starting lineup and D'Lo being happy getting his feet wet under Finch and actually elevating, demonstrably right. elevating a second unit. And that was after a 26-game a absence and what with Carl, what it were at like 
46 or something now, you know, almost yeah, almost least, double yeah. double the length. So I, obviously we know some sort of minutes restriction is going to be there. You would think the longer it's been since he's been cardiovascularly active on a basketball floor, the the longer that that stretch of time would be. I, I do think Jace's question is is a an interesting one, even if I mean I kind of still hold my same stance of what I think will happen and what I think should happen is you play him and you start him and you get you want to get as many minutes of one of your best players on the floor. I I would take that risk because it also has the upside advantage of now you have more minutes of him next to Rudy. And even if in the first chunk of time, however long that is, the best thing for this team in the short term is Cat and Rudy staggered, which we don't know. But if that's the right. theory, right. like the big picture is that for this to work at the highest of levels, Carl and Rudy need to work on the floor together um, at, at the highest of levels. So, I, I mean, I, I, I see l- little downside to, to throwing him back in there next to Rudy um, as much as you can. And some of that just comes from the fact that I don't think this is going to be the best season of the Cat Rudy ant experiment that is right. somewhere down the line. What I what I also though thought was was interesting. British Finch talked a little bit about the, the reintegration process of cats from cat from an X's and O's standpoint, and and what he kind of posited was that they've naturally over this like 40, 50 games started doing some things differently. Like one example he used was um kind of pre-switching off ball. Like we've seen a lot of very important. That's actually very important. Yes. We and we see that a lot. Like you kind of have this yeah. Rudy stays on the center and the other four are, you know, switching one through four there. And and I think what they learned to to some extent when Cat was here is that's probably the most problematic part of Cat at the four is chasing um on on the perimeter, particularly against Absolutely. shooting fours, which yes, you've been on uh, for a long time, but I, I thought that was interesting. I was curious if you a- agreed with that, that you feel like the Wolves, in the ways in which they've changed how they play without Cat and the way they're playing now, better fits bringing Cat back into the mix. Does that make sense compared to how they were playing when he was there for the first 21? It does make sense. I think that, I think it's it's much more of a, not much more. It, it certainly it certainly is an X's and O's issue, but it's also a psychological issue. Mm-hmm. Um, Cat is the going to be the highest paid player on the team. Mm-hmm. He's going to be making super max fifty million dollars a year. Um, right now, the best ways to use him kind of de-emphasize what Cat thinks about himself as the best way to play. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the pre-switching is good if Cat can pick it up and practice and it's it and it's obvious yeah. that he is comfortable with it. I think the fact again, you've got a guy who hasn't played competitive basketball since Thanksgiving weekend, pretty much. Yeah. Uh again, you know, with a bunch of guys who have been running this system for a while, and pre-switching is like I always bring back Gogi Jang's thing about, you know. X's and O's are great. When you're on the court, it, it isn't that cut and dry. Right. I mean, somebody else may think it's time to pre-switch when Cat doesn't, or Cat may think it's time to pre-switch 
when the other people don't. And that's backdoors all day then. And that is going to be really obvious. Mm -hmm. And that is going to be, what is Kat doing out there? You Mm -hmm. know, because everybody else is going to be doing one thing and he's going to be doing another. And it's going to look bad. And in the meantime, you know, he's probably going to be much more of a catch and shoot three point guy a lot of the time. And especially with his calf, I mean, putting the ball on the deck and doing one of those kamikaze drives up down the left lane. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if in fact we are concerned about Cat's calf, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's probably the, the 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 one of the more strenuous plays you can put on that part of your body. Uh, especially the way Cat does that, he doesn't usually go left hand on that. Mm-hmm. He goes right hand down the left lane. Right. Uh, and so, you know, with your right calf, that's kind of, that's interesting. You know, so I think, first of all, you know, and the reason I'm so wishy-washy, strongly wishy-washy, obviously, which is kind of a weird combination, but is that there are pitfalls for everything. I agree with what you said about at the end of the day, if the fan base could deal with this risk, you risk playoff seating and even playoff survival for the chance to see how much Cat and Rudy can synergize. Mm. That's your priority. This is year one. It's already a ding year. The Wolves are not going to win a first-round series more than likely, although, again, you know, you can make arguments there too. But the point being, you want this to be a really high upside trade at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and you want as much information as possible before you go into the next off season and begin to think about who you're going to add with your mid-level if you're going to add somebody. Yep. There's all kinds of things you have to think about. And so, yes, that's an argument for what you just said. The arguments against that are you're throwing Cat out there, rusty mentally, rusty physically, playing a position he hasn't really played well, and putting him in a position where he is not as in control of the game as he has been almost his entire career. So there's all kinds of things that can go wrong, and Cat has never been somebody who when the heat has been spun his way and say, hey, you know, you screwed up here. Um, You know, the whole thing can be a morass of uh, dysfunction, Mm -hmm. both psychological dysfunction and X's and O's dysfunction. And again, that's why I would play a middle ground there. If, If Kat and Rudy are doing well, if Kat comes off the bench, and he begins to lead a second unit, or he begins to show that he's got some stuff, maybe then he's more amenable, he gets more excited about himself and about his game, and maybe it's only a five-game thing rather than a 15-game thing. Now, let's face it, there's only like 15 games yeah, left right. now anyway. so But the point being, I want Cat to be coming out of this season, however this season ends, not feeling like he's besieged. Not feeling like, hey, you know, all right, they're moving on without me, or you know, what am I chopped liver now? Yeah. Uh, because he's not the right guy to have that kind of attitude for an entire offseason. Uh so 
let's work him back in in a way that gets him going. And I think that also, quite frankly, is the way the team gets going too. And then maybe you do get a play-in game or two or a first-round series or two where you get that synergy or that attempted synergy and a sample size with those two all-star bigs together that matter. And so that would be the middle ground I'd walk. But again, I'll say it again, there isn't a clean scenario by which you say that's, this is obviously the way to go, you know, uh, because there's always going to be great counter arguments and great arguments pro and con for what you want to do. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's what it is. It's a, it's a pros and cons list and, and whatever path you choose, whether it's him starting or coming off the bench, those are going to present a different sort of highlight onto the pros or highlight onto the cons, right? If he's playing 80% of his minutes next to Rudy, you're going to learn a hell of a lot more of what he's like next to Rudy. Oh, it's, that's all you're going to really learn, right? Like I just, again, just off the top of my head thinking about this, because honestly, I hadn't really considered much the idea of him coming off the bench until Finch actually put it out there today. Like uh-huh. what, you know, maybe if it is five, eight games that he's coming off the bench, you're able to see him playing with some of those guys that he wouldn't play with as much. Like, would you maybe all of a sudden you stumble on the like, oh, man, like it seems to really work when it's like Cat, Torian Prince, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Jordan McLaughlin, and one of the other starters, you know, and you like kind of right. find this of like, oh, it actually Cat and Torian Prince, that's a good one. Or if you have multiple perimeter defenders, if Jaden and Nikhil are out there with Cat, we really like, like you can learn some things there that you wouldn't be able to learn if he were playing the majority of his minutes with with the starters. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all kind of small details when ultimately this is going to be determined. The big picture of this is going to be determined by how he fits in uh, with with the starting group. It's just it's a it's a funky timeline now in, in the season, given how little uh, of of the season is is left here. So I don't know, man. Um, I'm obviously we're going to talk about it. We're going to track it. We're going to look at how the defense changes, the offense changes, the rotation changes and those sort of things. And I think some of those things are actually, you know, fun to hypothesize. But ultimately, the main thing is just getting them back. Right. Just like right, just right. just get well, out there. Same I mean, with anyone. <laughs> and, and to your point, I mean, Torian Prince and Cat just strike me as a really cool thing right now. And it keeps Kyle and Rudy together, too. Like, I, I'm, I'm with you. That's a yeah, major concern. Yeah. If pulling yeah. Kyle out of the starting lineup, he's been such a contributor to the rhythm of that group. If Kyle Anderson is not in in crunch time in the last two, three weeks of the season, um, that will be a fascinating development. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And that will be something where, I guarantee you, if that comes to pass, that will be the source of numerous, <laughs> very, very fascinating conversations that have taken place between the front office and Finch and the roster. Uh, because, uh, I mean, there's only two possible closing lineups, right? Once, once everyone's back, I think we know. And okay, we'll assume Rudy's on the floor, right? And so right, it's, it's right. not a small ball thing. Ant, Jaden, Rudy, Cat, 
And then the fifth variable, I think, is Mike Conley or Kyle Anderson. Yeah. And now it's getting a little less likely to go with that would put if it's Kyle Anderson. Now, Ant's your point guard and Ant has stopped being a real point guard for this team since D'Angelo Russell got traded and Mike Conley came in. That was I've talked a lot about it, a lineup I'm interested to see. But right. I I would kind of assume that Kyle Anderson wouldn't close. You know what I think is going to happen if we get that far is, and, and I only know this because it hasn't been exactly the situation, because this is the most nuanced situation, given where the Wolves are in the standings, yeah. given the recency in the trade, mm-hmm. given when Cat got hurt, given Cat's new deal, given what slow-mo has done for this team, given that Mike Conley has just come in the door. I mean, there's so many moving parts that it is way more nuanced than anything I can refer back to. But I can say that whenever we thought about how things would work, some of it is the players tell you themselves by what they do. Yep. Boom. And so if, if slow-mo is working really well with the two bigs, you know, then that's interesting. You know, <laughs> uh, if you know, if if uh, if Mike Conley just activates Gobert in a manner that Gobert fits Cat's deficiencies a lot better than he was before, for some reason, he comes out at the level more or something, or Cat's able to play the low man or something. Uh, I mean, I don't know what the variables will be, but I do know that once again, you're going to be dealing with what basketball, what makes basketball great is what five people for how long a period of time before you take one out and put one in, Mm -hmm. take two out, put two in. What is the process by which you get a team that generates momentum? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that's just one of the considerations. The other consideration is how is Gobert and Cat going to do? We invested this ton of money and all this treasure to get this together. Another one is how is Cat's calf? You know, I mean, there are just so many things about this that um, it is interesting to consider. And, and we've just spent, you know, whatever time we've talked about just now thinking about it. But the reality of it is going to be we'll have some information, and that information will change the context in ways that we'll go, oh, okay, you right. know, we get it now. Mike Conley obviously needs to be out there for whatever reason, or you know, yeah. or you know, uh, we thought that you know, Cat and Rudy would be out there at crunch time, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, or whatever, you know. Sure. But uh, I have no idea. I do think that uh, put against the backdrop of um, this team could not make the plan, or this team could be home court advantage. I mean, it's another, it's a crazy NBA season on top of everything else. The schedule can be brutal, especially between the 13th and the 29th of March. After the 29th, like the last 10 days of the season are actually pretty interesting. It's the schedule lightens up a little bit. Uh, so, you know, who knows? Who knows when right. Cat's coming back? Uh, but one of the things that is good to hear is that we do have 
a noticeable marker of progress in that we're talking about it. Cat and Jaden, you know, apparently you said that Jaden said Cat was out there. It was exciting to see Cat out there. Mm-hmm. Jaden wouldn't have said that if Cat wasn't out there. So, sure. uh, you know, it. everybody's impatient for it to happen. Uh, and once it does, once you get Cat healthy enough to, to step on the court, then all the variables kick in. <laughs> exactly. Well. I, I would I would think by those like you said the last ten games of the season we we will uh, we'll have them back uh, I think for sure by April sixth I wanted to mention <laughs> on here what we're doing the I don't think we've mentioned it since you I don't think when you've been on the show you've mentioned that we're you and I and Kyle are going to be doing uh, a live show at at Falling Knife I wanted to make sure to to get that uh, plug in here. Um, on April 6th, I think that leaves like a couple games right before yep. uh, the the play-in and playoffs happening. So Britt, myself, and Kyle will be doing a uh, a live Kyle show. Tige. Kyle Tige. Not yet. <laughs> Kyle Anderson. I think I think Kyle Tige would be all right if we replaced him with with Kyle Anderson uh, for this one. Maybe Kyle. It's a, it's an off night. Uh, maybe maybe Kyle Anderson <laughs> will show up. Too. <laughs> he would be the one person on the team who's just like he's just there. He's like. Drink it yeah, a seltzer come, in the I'll back. Come. Yeah, you know, why not? <laughs> you guys are going to be there? Right. Um, so we will be there uh, April 6th, Falling Knife uh, Brewing Company in Northeast. Britt and I have done a couple uh, live shows this year. I think it'll be fun to do it uh, with with Kyle as well. We want to make sure that's uh, on your guys' calendar. And I think it's at a good time to do one, too. Right before the play-in playoffs, I'd assume Cat will have a couple games uh, under under his belt by then. So put that on your calendar. And then also... You know, Friday night, uh, Brooklyn, the Brooklyn game. If you're not going to Target Center to watch, you can watch at uh, Falling Knife or Monday uh, when they're in Atlanta. You're wanting to, if you got the Wolves fever and you want to like be around other people watching it, um, check that out always uh, at at Falling Knife. And then uh, me, Britt, and Kyle will see you there on April 6th. Britt, let's take a quick break and uh, we'll come back. I have a kind of want to stay on the cat topic sure. related to defense and just the, the defense overall. So back with Britt here in a minute. Today's show is brought to you by The Genesis Company. The Genesis Company is the MVP of the business game. With their advanced marketing techniques, they've helped over 300 brands generate over $3 billion in retail sales. So if you're an entrepreneur with any size brand or product, they're the best in the business. And for being fans of the pod, they're offering free access to their proprietary AI technology that helps founders uncover the true potential of their brand. Find out how big your brand or product should be. Don't let your competition steal the lead. Email them at grow at thegenesiscompany.com and claim your spot at the top of the game. That's grow at thegenesiscompany.com. Today's show is brought to you by Hyacinth Restaurant in St. Paul. Hyacinth is one of my favorite restaurants in the cities and a place that I think is easy and comfortable to go to if you're looking for kind of an elevated dining experience that is still comfortable. That's been my experience when I've gone to Hyacinth with my friends and with my family. Um, it's it's also a restaurant that is using all Minnesota products year round, which I think makes it cool, um, whether it be for the menu items or the cocktails. They'll kind of have like a wintry vibe to them. And I think that can be fun this time of year if you're looking to go out, whether it's for a, a fancy dinner or just something more casual on a random weeknight. You can make reservations there. Those are those are ideal. But if you're going in the wintertime and you're going on a weeknight, also walk-ins are uh, more than normal there at Hyacinth. So if you haven't checked out Hyacinth, uh, I'd, 
I challenge you to you know look at their website, check out their menu. They also have a Instagram page with a ton of their uh, menu items on there. Uh, again, you are going to go out to eat, and I would just recommend that you put Hyacinth at the top of your list if you're looking for a new place to check out in the city. So that's Hyacinth Restaurant in St. Paul. All right, Britt. Um, at practice today, as as the conversation was was largely about Cat, and when we talked to Rudy, we talked to Jaden, we talked to Finch. I thought one interesting anecdote was it, or from it, was Jaden McDaniels saying he thinks when Cat is out there, they will be in the high wall. Actually, let me just let me just start off by uh, playing this clip because Chris asked yeah. him about uh, what he thinks the defense will look like with Carl back in the mix. Developing a really good defensive identity these last couple of weeks. You know, when and if he comes back, how do you think he can fit into that? To what you guys have been forming over I think the last. You fit him just fine. I mean, uh, they both. It just depends like what defense we are in. Like, I feel like they're probably gonna put him in like high wall. So I mean, he's good at it. He did a good job all last year doing it. So just, really just just coming in to me some peace really. Are you like? different defense than you were at the start of the year because you know each other and Conley offers something or is it the same or how does it feel? No, they're cat go right now being positive. But uh I'll say for me it's all the same. I'll say just just knowing when which one which bigs in the game, knowing different coverages and then knowing when to switch or like when we're in drop or when we're in high wall. So for me it's just being aware. So that was a little proof that Cat was at practice. He he came by and started screaming first team, first team as uh yeah. as we were interviewing Jaden McDaniels. But I, I thought uh I thought it was interesting that Jaden threw out there that he feels when Cat's on the floor, they will be in in the high wall concept. Um, which, you know, we we saw them toggle between that a little bit at the beginning of the season. I should say that when Finch talked and, and Chris kind of asked him the same question, Finch was like, I don't really know what we're going to do in terms of pick and roll uh, once Kit Cat gets back. So that might not be the case. I don't think Jaden's saying that with a bull. You could kind of hear with the way he's talking. Right. He's like, sure, I think sure. it'll be that way. But Brent, like, if you can sort of tie this together, how, how do you feel about the premise of Chris's question that the defensive identity has been coming together? Or to what degree do you think is, has been coming together? And then to what degree... Maybe in more in terms of pick and roll because we're talking about the chasing. But to what degree does Cat getting thrown back into defending against pick and roll impact this team? I think it's still tough. Uh, yeah. I I'm much more in the pre-switching idea than I am uh, putting Cat and Rudy on the floor and running high walls strikes me as a uh, a very I don't know how it works. And, and maybe Britt, what Jaden was saying was when Cat's when, when in at the Kat's five. out there on his own. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. See, that's, you know, I didn't want to just come right out and say that because I wasn't there. But when I heard that, Jaden knows that when Cat is out there on his own, they almost always play high wall. Yeah. And maybe that's what he was thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, in answer to the other question about everybody being more comfortable, well, you know, I mean, Jane McDaniels isn't going to say it's better when Cat's out at the five than when Rudy Gobert is out there at the five on defense because that's not true, you know. Cat uh, at the five on a high wall versus Rudy at drop at the five without Cat. 
you still want Rudy on the court instead of Cat when you're playing defense, simply because he's really good at it, I think. And the Wolves have played decently in drop with Rudy on the floor. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I don't know. The Wolves are like... <laughs> 10th in defensive rating uh, yeah. on the, the, the season. Uh, with, right. with, I mean, with, but there like, are times when you do go high wall with Rudy and, you know, I've loved it. The games where that's happened, you know, my, you know, I would think that would be Monday against Atlanta and Trey young. Yeah. Maybe yeah. again. And that's what I mean. I, we the, haven't the, seen it much. The, the, the whole, you know, me, I'm the whole fly around versus discipline thing. I'm looking for that synergy even more than anything else, even more than cat and go bear, which, obviously is a subtext of that. But when you can fly around and still have that discipline, you mm -hmm. know, we saw that to some extent against Sacramento to some extent. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, there are definitely occasions where, you know, Sacramento number one defense burned the Wolves on defense and Gobert wasn't in a high wall very often, despite that, you know, but it was a fly around mentality at both ends of the court. And I like that concept. Uh, can you run a fly around defense with Kat and Rudy on the floor only if they have really got whatever scheme it is down cold? Yeah. Uh, because there's not a lot of margin for error with two slow guys flying around. I mean, if they're not anticipating properly, uh, then they are, you know, they're, they're flying in the wrong direction. <laughs> and 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 neither one of them is being back in like a rim protection scenario if it's that kind of a fly around. So I worry about a high wall with Rudy and Kat. I would have to see how it looks on the court. Uh, I would imagine there would be a lot of pre-switching involved in that, which there is kind of anyway in a high wall, just because it's, it's a so aggressive. Yeah. So exactly, it's a scramble. That's a I was going to say ten words for that, but that's the word. It is a scramble, <laughs> and so can Cat and Rudy play a high wall scramble synergistically? The answer to that question, man. If that question answer is yes then I feel a hell of a lot better about this trade than I do right now. So I, I, I like I like this topic. Like the, the thing you're most interested in in seeing or the, the thing that will be most telling, particularly once Cat gets back. And I think I think that's clearly the defensive one. And yes. and for me to go to the other side of the ball, I I think the the thing that is most interesting to me is what impact does Cap being on the floor play in the offensive chemistry between Anthony Edwards and Rudy Gobert? Because we don't like to say this because Ant's having a good year and Rudy's starting to do more defensively or more offensively and defensively. Just start playing. He's been playing better since the trade. But the single most alarming thing to me this season watching this team that is the biggest indictment of, of the trade once you get away from the picks is that I see so little chemistry in the in the offensive play between Rudy Gobert and Anthony Edwards, so much more so than I anticipated at the at the beginning of the season. If you would have just told me just that when we were doing our 
win total predictions pod at the beginning of the year, if, if somebody could have articulated to me that it was likely that the Ant and Rudy offensive chemistry would be what it is, I would have dropped my win total by four. Just, that in and of mm-hmm. itself is is an alarming thing. And now it's only year one, been different lineups, Mike Conley, D'Lo, whatever. But for the season, those two guys have played well over 1,300 minutes together. And Anthony Edwards has 23 assists to Rudy Gobert. That is insanely low. There is no offensive chemistry when it comes to the ant getting Rudy offense part of it. There is the other way, more so than maybe kind of our eye test shows. Rudy gets ant offensive chemistry, clears pathways to him to the basket. That is not reciprocated the other way, and that's because playing with this type of center, one, is complicated, a a center like Rudy, and two, Ant has never done that before. But to me, it's the single most alarming thing of the entire season is that we're 67 or whatever games into the season, and that has not improved. I agree that that's very concerning. My pushback on that just a little bit, and the reason I say this is because there was a little exercise I was doing uh, for anticipating something I thought I would write in a column that didn't pan out. But I was looking at how Gobert gets his points. He gets so many points on putbacks. It is unbelievable. Yeah. And so I'm thinking a lot of those might be ant misses. Sure. You know, and so to the extent that uh, just like uh, a missed shot is often as bad as a turnover, Mm-hmm. A missed shot can also be as good as a dime. Sure. You can have that quote unquote Kobe assist. Yeah. Uh, now, which isn't to say that uh, uh, Ant can say to himself, well, if I miss the shots, Gobert is happy to get all of them. That's mm-hmm. good. That'll work out just great. You know, I'll just keep shooting and Gobert can get what he needs to get and we work great together. You know, obviously, Rudy needs to be fed a little bit more by Ant for the good of both of them. Obviously, there needs to be more chemistry so that um, Rudy obviously finds connections or misses connections with players. I've seen Mike Conley do a lot of the things that D'Lo did, and they're successful when they were not successful with D'Lo. I have no idea why that's true, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it is – I mean, my theory is that D'Lo believes in – subterfuge when he throws dimes he believes in misdirection not necessarily no look but he doesn't want to broadcast what he is doing when he tries to make what is meant to be a dime pass it's not a hockey assist pass it's a dime pass Mm. and he is very unobvious about it compared to kyle anderson who almost makes it look like a shot He's looking at Gobert. He's looking at the basket. Uh, He's not suddenly out of the blue feeding Gobert when you didn't expect it the way it can happen with D'Lo a lot. Um, So maybe that obviousness is what the connection is. But I do think that there are ways in which uh, Gobert really works well with people. He works well with Conley, and he works well with slow-mo. That is obvious thus far. It looked like he was appreciative and getting comfortable with the way Cat fed him for a while. Mm. With Ant, 
I don't know whether it's like animals never passes to me, so I'm not expecting a pass even when I should be getting one, you know? Yeah. Um, or it could be that I know that when ants on the floor, the way I get fed is on putbacks. So I'm going glass and I don't care what he's doing because the shot's going up. Mm -hmm. uh, there is something about the chemistry that is not prolific. I mean, that's an understatement. As you said, 23. I, I, I think the putback thing, the putback thing is, is interesting. And, and while you were just talking there, I, I pulled this up. The Wolves are 16th in points off of putbacks, uh, off of getting an offensive rebound per 100 possessions. So, so it's normalized in that way. So firmly average there, which seems like an indictment of what you just said, but it's right. not because the Wolves are 25th in offensive rebounding. So uh -huh. they don't get many offensive rebounds. What that's those stats suggest, if I'm interpreting this correctly, is they don't get many offensive rebounds, but if and when they do, they, they lead to points uh, right. comparatively against the, the rest of the league. And like I said, I mean, Gobert, it was since the Conley trade. So I was looking, okay, Gobert was like 47 for 66 or something after Conley got got here. Mm -hmm. So my point was going to be in the column, how much of that is Mike Conley's doing? Sure. And then I found out, yeah, Conley feeds him more than anybody, but you know how he gets most of his baskets. He gets most of his baskets by rebounding misses or, you know, it actually more he gets I think he gets more baskets rebounding misses than he gets on rolling on pick and roll. I, well, uh, on, on this team it it certainly seems like that. I want to yeah. look it up for it. I wonder if those numbers well, are you, different. You, if you know how to do that, I mean, I thought it, it was actually uh, really I enjoyed the way you went uh, offensive rebounds versus total putbacks as a way to see efficiency of putbacks. That's a great way to do it. So it, it says here that since the trade deadline, the Wolves are 10th in points off of putbacks, where they were they're 16th for the season. So that does suggest uh -huh. that they're they're scoring more points in that way than they than they were right previous. Actually, probably substantially um, more so than they were previously. And then if I can look at offensive rebound rate too, how much that that has changed here since since the trade, the Wolves again 25th for the season. 21st in offensive rebounding since the trade deadline. So they have been a better offensive rebounding team. Still not good, um, right. but they've been even more so effective. So that would make sense that that I would say this is an example of stats backing up what your eye test right. was, was seeing. Yeah. And, and again, you know, and also I only, I was reminded of my eye test by trying to prove something else, which is often what happens yeah. when you're going over stats is you're saying, all right, let me see if this is right. Let me see if Mike Conley feeding Rudy Gobert is doing great things for this team. And as it turns out, yeah, Mike Conley has nine dimes to Rudy Gobert, but he has eight to Ant. He has seven to Jade McDaniels. He has six to Nas Reed. He has five to Slomo. I'm not even making those numbers up. Those are actually the numbers. Right. I mean, so you just, for some reason, nobody has the same amount of assists but they go down by one for the five guys and Nas, you know, per minute. I mean, that's really good. Nas Reed, Nas Reed would be, you know, hell on fire, man. If he was playing next to Mike Conley all the time, which. Well, again, and, but that, and that's the difference between pick and pop versus pick and roll. 
I would assume you said six, six assists from Mike Conley to Nas Reed, or, or four of those threes. I, that that's, I feel like I can very good point. Very good point. You, you Probably know. because a lot of them were in that thirty point game against Dallas, and he buried some threes on that one. Yeah, it's. I, I tweeted out. I, I just clipped um, all of Ant's pick and rolls from the from the Sixers game, and it was you know I don't know fifteen of them, like eleven of them were with Rudy, and four of them were with Nas. And man, it is just <laughs> such a different thing. It's such a different look. And of course, to some extent, like of course it is, right? Like Nas can pop, Rudy can't at all. Uh, Rudy can be a lob threat. You also like I was thinking about this the other day too. Like why? Do you remember like Nas Reed high pick rolling hard going up for a two foot two hand lob dunk like that never happens like as much as Rudy can't shoot threes like Nas can shoot threes on the pop like Nas Nas is catching on that pocket pass roll and then is you know jelly to the rim right like it's it's a different sort of way of finishing in the pick and roll and anecdotally to the eye test it's like again one game it's that Sixers game I you go to my Twitter if you want to if you want to watch those, those possessions it looks 40 times better when it's a ant Nas pick and roll in terms of what ant looks like in well in the this play. again you know this is actually a really interesting topic to raise right now to be honest with you because Cat? Rudy Gobert aesthetically is his own worst enemy I mean that guy looks terrible he looks clumsy. He looks awkward. He looks like he can't play basketball frequently, mm-hmm. frequently. And he looks that way when he's making 50% of his shots looking that way. Right. I mean, you can have a guy, I mean, Rudy Gobert probably makes 90% of his shots when he is clean with his catch and shoot and finish and dribble or whatever. But Rudy Gobert also makes 50% of his shots when he looks like a clown. Mm. I mean, that that's that's kind of a remarkably that's a backhanded compliment for sure. But I will tell you, if a guy can make 50% of his shots with looking like I do on the court or something, <laughs> looking like a fool, that's pretty good, you know, if you if you're still making those shots. Whereas Nas, uh Nas is like Zach Levine. You know, which is always my go-to for aesthetics over results. Uh, he looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. How, you know, who wouldn't trade three flub baskets that happen to go in by Gobert because he's stumbling his way through to one like triple crossover dribble, you Don't. know, <laughs> offhand banker on the fly by Nas. Yeah, I mean, right. it's just. Oh, if you're a fan of the the gymnastic beauty of basketball, mm. you'll take that Nas play over a fistful of Gobert fractured follies. That hey, guess what? Got ten points. You know, Nas has got two. You know what? A, a and and shout out to uh, Jake Painting who commented on that that little video I put out of the of the pick and rolls. He he said um, in in his comment he looked it up that with Gobert on the court. Ant is shooting 67% at the rim. When Ant is on the court with Nas, he's shooting 56% at the rim. That yeah. is a massive difference. And that is back go, that I that totally echoes with what you're you're saying right there about Rudy, though on the ant side of things. Like, yes, it looks a lot cleaner, and it looks like there's more space to the rim for Ant when they're playing five out with Nas at the five. But the the effectiveness of Ant 
at the rim or the frequency with which he gets to the rim in the clogged paint time when Rudy's on the right. floor, Ant right. is actually taking more shots at the rim than when it's a space floor with Nas out there, which is that's and interesting. This reminds me of something that Jim Pete said in praising Ant on the high pick and roll. Mm -hmm. I think it was Jim Pete. His first step, the rest of it is, you know, you're, you're cooked. That first step is so quick that, uh, you know, he, he is going to get by you then. Mm. And uh, it may have been a national guy. It may not have been GP. Whoever said it, anyway, it reminds me of what you're saying now because Rudy takes care of that first step. Totally. Because when he screens that guy, and that's one thing they do have timing on, you know, you don't see a lot of whistles on Gobert Yep. For screens for Ant on the pick and roll. They know how to work that thing. Uh, and and part of it is because it's such a tight pick and roll. The guy is not loose on Ant out there. He's tight on it. So if Rudy can pick him immediately and Ant can get that first step, uh, then he is fast enough and strong enough to finish. And again, yes, it's one of those subtle things that doesn't look quite as beautiful as him having all the space in the world to do something because, right. you know, he's winding up, but it is again, more effective. And I guess what we're saying here, you know, because I've been down on Gobert a lot this year is the aesthetics of Gobert are terrible, but what we ought to remember is the results of Gobert are a lot better than the aesthetics of Gobert. And so if you think Gobert is doing badly, there's a very good chance he's doing better than you think. Great point, Brett. And if you think Nas is doing great, there's a pretty good chance he's not doing as well as you think. Yeah. You know, I mean, some guys are just charmers. They're charmed in the way they play. Now, with Ant, I really would be interested to know because Ant looks, when Ant looks bad, I mean, there have been occasions where Ant looks terrible and I look up and he's got 20 points. So he can do that. But also, when Ant is on, man, versus when Ant is off, and, and, and I know I'm flying and hopping around on subjects, but Ant has, one of the things I've noticed about Ant this year is he's had more ugly 20, 25-point games than he had in his first two years combined. Sure. So uh, that has been growth for Ant as he's getting those. Uh, because they can be, like, ugly, but, still, like, I would even say the Philadelphia game is, like. The grinded out games. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yes. What if you like to maybe see some more from Ant, like, in terms of playmaking, getting others involved in that, in that Sixers game? Yes, he had one assist, and it wasn't until late in the game. But he still had 32, and it wasn't it wasn't a Wiggins 32, right? Like he's still right, over 50 percent right. from the field, and and that that that's a that is a good thing. It seems like a basic thing to bring up, but Ant has significantly fewer. I would imagine. I mean, I guess I would need to look this up to know, but it certainly seems to me there's significantly more games or significantly fewer games where he's shooting under 50 percent this year. Than, right. than he has in the past. And those are the ones, given his usage, that are really dangerous. But let me grab one more break here. Um, I want to keep talking about Rudy um, on offense because I think that's been kind of a low-key uh, development since the trade, too. 
Today's show is sponsored by Factor, and this new year, I have been using Factor myself. I just feel a little bit too busy uh, during the Wolves season to cook, to grocery shop, to prep, shopping, prepping, cleaning up, all that. With Factor, they have fresh food, never frozen meals that are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat them and enjoy them. doesn't matter what your lifestyle is. Factor has delicious, flavor-packed meals to help you live it to the fullest if you're keto, calorie-smart vegan, veggie, or we want a protein plus option. They have all that on the menu each week. They're prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians. Each meal has all the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long. If you want to cut back on takeout, I know I do, get Factor instead. Not only is Factor cheaper than takeout, but meals are ready way faster than a restaurant, just two minutes. Get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh flavor-packed meals delivered to your door ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash danemore50 and use code danemore50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code danemore50 at factormeals.com slash danemore50 to get 50% off your first box. Today's show is sponsored by Shady Rays. Kick off the new year with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and much more. Shade Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn, durable frames, and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. It's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back after you purchase. With Shady Rays, you can look good and feel good. To date, they have donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. If you don't love them, exchange for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com, use promo code DaneMore for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 20,000 people. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, back with Britt Robson. Kinda, we're kind of bouncing around. Started with Kat, meandered around elsewhere. Um, I, I, I think, as I mentioned before the break, uh, I've found Rudy and his offensive game to be interesting in this post 
this post Delo time with Conley. And I think there's certainly an element of it, Britt, that is about, you know, the pep in his step, the chemistry with, with Mike and all those sort of things. But I'm also seeing Rudy do more offensively or do more offensively at a more effective level now on an individual basis than we, we saw previously. And my kind of theory behind that is just time. He didn't play like this in, in Utah. He was not asked to do the same things offensively. The Euros, the flip shots, the all that sort of stuff. Like, if you weren't watching Utah in past seasons, this is not what Rudy Gobert's offensive game looked like there. He's It's been new. He's added things. He was kind of bad at them at the beginning of the season, and he's gotten... He's gotten better at them. So I, I asked him at practice just straight up how much, in what ways has his game evolved this season uh, from Utah offensively compared to here in Minnesota. So here's Rudy. How do you feel that your offensive game has, or how has it evolved most from last season in Utah to this year in Minnesota? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, I've been putting a lot of work. I think I'm, you know, I'm, I can feel that, you know, I keep getting better and better, obviously. Uh, a lot of it depends on me, you know, also, uh, uh, like, depends on what's going on around me, the playmakers and, and guys getting me the ball. So sometimes, like, people are going to look at the stats and be like, oh, you, you shot less or you shot more, you average more points, like that. But I think it's more about being able to, yeah, to attack or still get different lineups, uh, to attack against different situations. And, uh, and yeah, and, and how... You know, me being able to find my teammates, me being able to create for my for my teammates also without the ball. And, uh, yeah, so I think I've been, you know, uh, the work is paying off, you know, and uh, I still have a long way to go for where I want to be. But, uh, you know, I'm that's part of it. You know, that's that's why it's fun. It's been fun. I was going to say, has it been fun to do more different things? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been fun. You know, just, uh, I mean, be, be doing more things off the dribble, uh, things that I work on, you know. I've been working on the floater also, so doing more of that. And uh, and then the rest is, yeah, being able to, to attack smaller lineups, uh, get the ball, not just get the ball underneath the basket, but get the ball on the block and be able to punish those smaller lineups. And uh, when they collapse, uh, I'm able to make this, those passes uh, and kick it out for the threes, and that opens up a lot of offense for us. So, yeah, just, you know, just keep putting the work, and the work's going to pay off. So, Brent, I think the those last two things he talked about um about adding the floater kind of i call it a flip shot um and and being able to punish smaller lineups he's got more opportunities to do those things in in these recent games there has there was the clippers game right where they went small against him the, the dallas game was after the trade they went small against him the kings a little bit we've seen more opportunities for him to try and punish that I think it's been better than earlier in the season. Um, I think being able to take a shot from six feet rather than needing to go to a Euro step there to try and get around the, the big there, I think there's a there's a lot of value in that. I'm totally with the whole aesthetically still not great thing, but I think if we can kind of put on our objective hat, I think it's just been better or I I believe in it more certainly more than I did the the first 20 games of the season where I was like what the hell this quote-unquote unlocking Gobert thing seems like a terrible idea maybe it's just sunk into me more that like by hell or high water they're gonna try and use Rudy in this sort of offensive way so 
I've accepted that and a little bit of growth seems meaningful because it just sort of is what it is where I know that's a sort of broad topic, but what strikes you about that? I think that there is more teamwork involved now. Mm. I think what it was is that it used to be you got the ball to go bare. Okay, let's see what he could do with it. And everybody <laughs> kind of all the other four guys go, okay, he's got it now. Let's see. You know, nobody started moving around because, you know, they probably weren't going to get it from him anyway. And uh, they didn't. It. it it was a bifurcated system where Rudy wasn't necessarily a part of the offense. He was the end game of the offense when he had the ball. Uh, if he got the ball at all in that kind of a system. Um, I think that a couple of things have happened. His teammates, I would say Jade McDaniels, the growth of that has been really kind of fun to watch. Jade McDaniels looks for him. Uh, and and what's it, it's very similar. Rudy and Jaden McDaniels both have very limited games, both by the eye test and by reputation, but both have kind of broadened their games now and they think it's fun. And so they not only think it's fun that they get to score, but they think it's fun that they get to create a little bit. Now I don't remember Rudy enough in Utah to know how much he created. But I think it was nothing near this level. One of the things that I think has been really fun lately is he's doing a lot of almost touch passes. He'll get the ball into the block and he'll see somebody. It's not quite Vandal level, but it is like I got the ball and all of a sudden it's shooting out to a guy on the three point line or shooting out to a guy in the slot who may drive on weak side or whatever. Uh, And Jaden, I see him. All right, people are starting to come toward me a little bit now when I'm driving. Uh, that wasn't happening before, but now that they are, I can feed Rudy. I see a kind of teamwork happening among different players that is really helping. And I think a lot of that has to do with limited but feel-good success, you know, Rudy gets the feed, he puts it in, he's dominating his guy, and all of a sudden Rudy goes, hey, you know, I'm starting to magnetize people. Boom, I'll throw it out to a guy. I'll do this. And Jaden is thinking, all right, I'm starting to get a little bit more attention than I used to get. I can leverage that by getting the ball to Rudy or somebody else. And, you know, let's not forget Finch's role in this. He wants movement without the ball, and he wants ball movement. And both of those guys, Jade McDaniels is no longer a catch-and-shoot three-point guy. I looked it up today, Britt. He's taken more shots this season from the short mid-range than he has from the corners. Yep, yep. That that little, like, fading And thing how he much does. of those are off the bounce? He's not yeah. catching and shooting there. Oh, he no, is. yeah. I would assume 80% yeah. of them are off the bounce. Exactly. And so, and with Rudy, I think a lot more of his plays now are not pick and roll handler or put back necessarily, you know, um, he is getting involved in back to the basket inbounds. He's getting involved in um, subsidiary pick and roll action where maybe they, they run a pick and roll and 
the guy, well, Conley is actually really good at this. They run the pick and roll, and it looks to all the world like Conley's going to shoot. And instead, he feeds late on a pick and roll to uh, Kyle to, Anderson style. Yeah. Yeah, Kyle Anderson style. Uh, I just think it's, it's Rudy, everybody goes to what they're comfortable doing and their strengths. And Rudy's strengths were not strong enough to help his team enough to be sufficient. Yeah. And he's not stupid. He knows that everybody's watching him and a majority of the people watching him are waiting for him to fail. And so he has begun to figure things out a little bit. And he also has begun to see where the teamwork is functioning well. And so maybe now, just as I said, when Ann has the ball, he's not looking for feed. Maybe now when Jade McDaniels is coming down for that mid-range pop you are talking about, he says, you know, every now and then Jade gets me the ball there. I'm going to go up for the rebound, but I'm also looking for that pass. Yeah. And I'll be able to handle that pass. Or and to your point of before about, you know, I need a floater here because I'm starting to get the ball eight feet away and I'm not necessarily moving toward the rim. Maybe I can do my my classic, you know, stone-headed uh, fake left and go right, and I have a, a, a floater. You know, now I have a floater to do that. So I do think it's a matter of evolution. It's a matter of trying to figure out what works. But also, one of the great things about the NBA and a team gelling is what works also is what feels good. And everybody wants to feel good on the court. And if everybody is feeling good, then your teamwork is humming. And so what I see is less frustration with Rudy and less frustration from Rudy. And that's because there has been enough feel-good teamwork, not sufficient because it's still a work in progress, and hopefully there's a lot more room to grow, as Rudy himself concedes. But there are enough feel-good moments to establish a memory of, hey, let's do that again, or hey, this may happen again. I should be in position to have this feel-good moment happen again. And that will create the kind of synergy and teamwork, especially if it involves moving without the ball and it involves ball movement. Uh, of which, let's face it, Rudy is not a natural, you know, he's not a fish in water in a ball movement, move without the ball system. I I think talking about this, I don't know why this spurs this in my mind, but like when I've talked to people over the course of this season, more so like recently past 20, 30 games, and they ask, you know, like what what's going on with the Wolves? Why Why are they inconsistent? And what I always say is they strike me I, I they strike me as a much younger team than you would think. Um and and I, you know, and you could point to all oh, the losses against the bad teams and this and that. That's it, it's not really what I'm talking about. What I'm what I'm talking about is youthful progression, right? And you see that primarily in, you know, Ant taking on a bigger, different role, learning that, Jaden doing more things offensively, defensively, being asked to expand their games as young players in the league. And and people go, okay, cool, you have two young players, and yeah, Nas Reed's young too, and he plays. 
it's not a young team. You traded to get older. And I'm not, obviously, you have a older players on this team as well. Rudy Gobert being the main one of them, and he's 30. But what Rudy is doing by changing his game in a drastic measure is very similar to what a 21, 22-year-old like Ant and Jaden is doing, trying to expand their games in ways they've never previously done before. So yes, Rudy is absolutely a veteran in the league, but in many ways, functionally, he's a young player. And, and that has its ups and downs that youthfulness has in the NBA that we, we see across the board. I view this team, even though they have some old players, as one of the most youthful teams. And that youthful could kind of pyramid out to, uh, you know, erratic in, in a dis, like dysfunctional sort of way. And also it can, it can hint at upside. And, and I think it felt so much like with Rudy that that upside wasn't really there as he was learning more and more it, in that sort of way. It felt, it overall just felt immature. Now it's feeling at times immature and also at times like it hints at the potential for exponential growth for the core of this group. Would I bet on it? I, like that it's a, a definite thing? No, I. There, there's, again, as Rudy said, there's a ton of things that need to be ironed out and get a, a lot better from him and a lot better from the other players on this team that are learning and expanding their games. And I throw Jalen Noel and Nas Reed into that as well. But overall, it strikes me as a youthful team because of that, because they're all doing so many different things. And I don't know, I guess you can you can have frustration in that. But I also think it's reason to be like, that's eh, kind of impressive if that's true, that this team is over 500. And another way to clarify what you're saying is by swapping out youth and age for inexperience yeah. and experience. Yep. And and and, in, and when you do that, you're exactly right. Uh, Rudy Gobert is experienced at doing certain things. He is a old head, a sage at certain aspects of the game. And why is that? Because a team built itself around him for nine years. And he got to do specific things for nine years. I mean, that was something that I didn't really, didn't really dawn on me until I watched how he was not able to do some things. He was inexperienced. He was, in your words, young. He was very young in terms of doing things because the Jazz franchise had decided that that wasn't something that was working well in the way we're building this team, and we're not going to have Rudy do this. We're going to have somebody else do this more. Yeah, they wanted Rudy team will... development versus individual player development from Rudy specifically. Exactly. And so you had a situation where uh, because Rudy was the straw that stirred the drink, especially on defense, uh, this is what he did. Now, on offense, he obviously they honed it to the point where he's, he's a, he is elite at very, very specific things. But when you go beyond those specific things, he's not even good. He's bad. And so now the key is how do we keep him elite 
at what he does well and turn what he's been bad at into mediocre, then fair to middling, then good to maybe not elite, but a, a real plus skill. That's a tall order for a guy in his 10th season, ninth season, whatever he is now. With a brand new franchise, though, you have created a totally new context, a new set of expectations, and Rudy Gobert is a level-headed veteran guy. He is the guy, I regard him as like the stepfather in that locker room. I've said it before, he's not really, really blood with those guys in there. But he's kind of the head of the family anyway, you know? Right. And so you have this situation where he's got to learn how to relate to his kids. And he's got to learn how to grow his game because so much is riding on it. And so we, we just got through talking about his mindset. And he got through talking about it in that clip you had. I am learning how to do this, this, and this substitute out what you were saying. What are you saying is, I am becoming an older player, but right now I'm young at these things. Yep. And that is why the Wolves are youthful in the ways you say they're youthful. And to be honest with you, I mean, Kyle Anderson always says he was a point guard, but he's never really had a chance to just wallow in it the way he has this year. You know, you know what, he would Brent, come in. You know what it reminds me of? The, to the Rudy thing and, and young and what he's doing right now. I was trying to think, it's like, has this existed anywhere else? And what came to my mind is Brooke Lopez. Yes. Like, it's kind of oh, in a different man. way, right? Like, isn't brilliant. doesn't that work? Just brilliant. And, and actually, two incarnations. One, becoming a three-point shooter, and then becoming, like, a, re yeah. a defensive stopper in a totally new way than mm -hmm. he was a defensive stopper when he came into the league. And did that right at about... I don't know, late 20s at least. Not, I mean... And because he was the face and what the, the, yeah. the team Brooklyn built themselves yeah. around him. So it's actually a pretty good comp. Yeah, I like that. I, I, I like that. I think that's... I guess that I was like, is there now, any precedent? Now, if Rudy could grow the yeah. way Brooke Lopez is growing, oh my God. Yeah. You know? Well, then, if that... Yeah. I mean, honestly, it might be as simple as for the Wolves to be as good as they thought they could be when they made the trade, Rudy Gobert needs to go through the same evolution or a, a similar Lopez like metamorphosis. Yeah. <laughs> I, I given given that they are no longer Rudy Gobert is no longer being asked to play offense the way that Quinn Snyder asked him to. He's playing the Finch way and kind of defensively too. It's 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 a little right. bit it's Although a little they bit have begun well. to I mean bringing in Conley and uh Slomo they really have kind of said, well, we're not going to abandon you totally yeah. in the ways you're good at it. Yeah, they split it uh, a little bit, yeah. But again, you know, and, and this is, it's a, it's a conundrum. I mean, this is why, to, you know, another reason why this Wolves team is young is because they have multiple identities. Mm -hmm. This is not a team that has one identity. This is the way we play. Last year's team is like the epitome of that. They had one way of playing defense. And actually, they had one way of playing offense. They led the league in pace. They led the league in three-pointers. Space and pace. They were the space and pace team. And the most but, aggressive defensive team. Yeah, which those tied so together. Yeah. That's the identity. That's what Carl Anthony Towns called Timberwolves basketball within the first 
six weeks of the season. Uh, this year, you've got a whole lot of not necessarily fitting together pieces. You want them to fit together. I mean, in a perfect world, what happens is you have a much more versatile team, which is what was so lacking last year. If the Wolves weren't able to do their thing, mm-hmm. for whether it's because they were on that particular night inept at doing that, or because the opponent was especially adept at taking away what they did, mm-hmm. they were fucked. I mean, that was it. They, you know, that was <laughs> they had no counter, and so they went and got Rudy Gobert as a counter, as a counter to to be a protector rim team, to be a better rebounding team. Uh, but what that did is that added identities and confused identities. And so now you have a team that feels young because they have not fit the identities together enough and are therefore kind of jumpy around. Kind of, you know, they play one way, they, they shut down the Clippers on defense, and two games later they get 138 against the Kings. You know, it's right. like, you know, it's a Sometimes, yeah, they they are a multi uh, identity team. You know, schizophrenic is uh, you know you, you don't say that anymore because it offends people. So that's probably the wrong thing to say. But they have multiple personalities, and sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes it's not. Yeah, and now you're adding in another variable that inherently will change your identity to some degree again with Carl Anthony Towns. Eventually coming back in, yeah, bring it full circle, right? Right, yeah, it's it's definitely cat, cat. Uh, well, cat not only adds identities, he scrambles the ones that are being formed. That's the crazy part of it, you know. Which, man, I just think when that is the case, and you have a roster that is tapping into multiple different identities night to night, quarter to quarter. And then you're bringing in another player who is going to do that even further. So much of the onus falls on the coach um, to be able to to iron that out and and to make it as I don't copacetic as as you as you can. And and that's why I mean, again, I, I'm on the record on here all all year having questions about how how Finch has handled this while also having the the notion entering the season of thinking that Chris Finch is a very very good coach and and when I when I think about that or if and when I'm frustrated by a game or a week of, of how Chris Finch is is coaching the the kind of like cool down from that is is the reminder that he has been given a roster that kind of demands multiple identities right now and that's a very difficult thing to coach maybe the greatest coaches do uh, but even them, probably, as annoying as it, as it is to say, they need time to do so. And if you are a great coach, unless you're Phil Jackson, whose identity is letting great players be themselves, mm. I mean, what all Chris Finch has done thus far is let really good players be themselves mm. uh, in order to get there. Uh but most coaches have an identity. Tom Thibodeau right now, you know, has an identity. He's changed a little bit, but the Knicks, you know. Yeah. But the point being, if you're growing multiple identities, a disciplinarian or a coach that 
would get people on that page, would foster certain levels of that identity more than other levels of that identity. Finch has fostered certain levels of the uh, play, move without the ball, move the ball, fly around on defense, pressure the ball handler. Those things are obviously going to be the parts of identity that the Wolves do best uh, in their multiple identities. It's like the coach is himself an applicant of a style that has influence over it, just as each player is an applicant of style that has some control, but nobody has full control. And Greg Popovich, who's as good an NBA coach as I can think of and has done great things with many different, but he had a template. Uh, uh, you know, Don Nelson had a template. Lenny Wilkins had a template. Uh, Spo. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, again, uh, it it is correct to say that Finch has a lot on his plate and that he needs to, at the very least, show where the things that he favors are being done yeah. and that growth is happening because it's just like with a player, you know, I mean, if the Wolves were 20th on defense right now, Rudy Gobert would be in deep shit, you know, <laughs> I mean, because that's what he does. Yeah. And the Wolves are, you know, are close to a top 10 defense. That's what he does. If the Wolves are not moving the ball well and moving without the ball well, and they're not doing the things that Finch is not known for, then he's failing twice. You expect him to kind of fail in not putting forth what he's great at. But what he is great at fostering, he better be doing that for his team. He better be fostering that. And so what I see a lot of the time is that that's one of the reasons I think the fly around is so important to marker. Of all the identities, that's the one I gravitate towards. It isn't always the one that is the most significant, but it is the one that I say, okay, well, the coach is getting through to them. They're doing this. Or if it's Gobert and they're playing great discipline defense, I say, okay, well, what the front office has brought in and what Finch is doing with them, it's working there, but it's mostly the players of the front office here that are getting this taken care of. So I think there are ways and strains you can find. Uh, but the greater point is it is a harder undertaking with a higher upside to try to synthesize multiple identities into a highly versatile team. If you can do it, it's fantastic. Yeah. If you can't, yeah. then you start having conversations like what we're having right now, which is a team that has all kinds of promise. We've just mentioned all the ways of doing it. They haven't, you know, Cats been out most of the season. They're a 500 team. They've beaten some great teams. They've lost to some terrible teams. Uh, they have a lot of fits and starts. They play like a young team because they have multiple identities. Um, at the end of the day, if they can crystallize all this, Wow, watch out. But the odds that they can crystallize all this 
is not nearly as good as saying if they have this team, if they if they kept last year's team intact, for example, a common lament among people who love last year's team, well, they'd probably be better at what they did last year than they are this year. But what is their ceiling with that aspect? Yep. You know, they made the Gobert trade. Everybody knew this. It was a bold gamble with a really a cathedral-like ceiling. If you hit that ceiling, you know, your the choir sings, you know, the bells go off. But if you don't, then there's like three people in church and you can't hear the sermon. <laughs> uh I, I did I did look it up because we were kind of like towing around uh, are they a top ten defense? Uh looked it up. Um overall tenth in, in defensive rating. Uh remove garbage time uh via cleaning the glass and they're eighth in defensive rating this this season. And so yeah, like as as much as you know, as, as the Rudy part of the Rudy trade has, I mean, that, that is an important thing to That's his calling card to, to he highlight deserves as much credit for that or more than, oh, yeah. than anybody, anybody else. Right? Yeah. And, and then, and Jaden second most, but yeah, I, right. I, I would say, I, yeah, I would, I would say that that's, that's, that's more Rudy than anything. Uh, Britt, your, your, your column, uh, we'll, we'll plug this here. It was, it was from, it came out the day of the Sixers game, but it was kind of, um, it was kind of on what we've been talking about recently is this seeming like the team is gelling. Um, but w- with that, like ever present question mark of can they uh, can they man- maintain it, which was a little prescient. Uh, everyone was riding a little high coming into that Philadelphia game. I think almost expecting I think Vegas actually had the Wolves favored um, against the the Sixers. In in that game, I think there was almost an expectation that they were going to win that game, and and the Wolves did what they've done uh, over the course of the season is be be that jackal and hide, and uh, and they lost it. They lost it. They lost it by a lot, and and now kind of here you are again, Sid. You know, can they jackal and hide their way uh, back right. tomorrow against uh, Brooklyn, and you know Monday against Atlanta on on on, on the line through these last fifteen games. Uh, with or without Cat or whenever Cat does come back. So the question marks remain, but, you know, in, in all seriousness, I feel like I'm getting a better feel for this team. Uh, it normally doesn't take 65 games right. for me to to do that, but that might have just been the nature of of putting a brand new roster together and then changing it up a couple times by losing Cat, by trading D'Lo, adding Conley. And the evolution of the players who are young in age or <laughs> inexperienced, or, or in, young in experience, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it a it a season that seems like it doesn't make sense. I think you can. I think you can make sense of it uh, at times too. So uh, do do check out uh, Britt's piece over there um, at MinPost, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll keep checking out what what happens with this team, Britt. I appreciate you doing it. Sure, my pleasure. Um, I will be back on Monday. Uh, there's just the one game over the weekend or Friday night uh, against Brooklyn. On Monday, I'll have Chris Hine from the Star Tribune on to to talk about that. He'll be out in Atlanta. That'll be in advance of the couple hours in advance, at least of of that uh, Wolves Atlanta game, which I think will will be interesting. I'm always intrigued by uh, opponents who have that Luca type guard that almost dare the wolves to play defense in a different way. So 
we'll see what happens against Brooklyn, and uh, we'll we'll talk about it on Monday with Chris, and we'll get ready for uh, and, and this one final thing, stretch. I'll, Go ahead, I'll jump in here. Yeah. Jump here for a second. Uh, nobody knows Rudy oh, yeah. Gobert better than Quinn Snyder. Yes. And oh. who's coaching Atlanta right now? That is that is a good call. Also, I was going to say you got a you're doing one of your min post zooms. Oh on, yeah, yeah, yeah. On mon- yeah. On that Monday, yeah, right? I'm doing a min post zoom on five at five thirty um, for the six thirty game, right? An hour mm-hmm. before that, yes. But, How do and, people sign and up? I'll, and I'll talk about that too. I mean, I I think it is kind of fascinating that uh, nobody knows. I I am confident in saying that nobody in the NBA knows Rudy Gobert better than Quinn Snyder. Yeah. Because when you coach a guy for eight years and you build a franchise around that guy, yeah. uh, you know what he can do, you know what he can't do, and uh, I've not that's going to be that. fascinating. Yeah. That's going to be fascinating. Um, so how do people sign up for uh, the Oh, the uh, yeah, I'll put out the link. If you go to my Twitter feed or you go to uh, – Mid post, I think there are uh, you you pre-register. It's free. They just want. Uh, I I hope I I I frankly don't know if this is true. I don't think it's one of these uh, sucker things where if you register, they they start like. No, I, I'm registered for it. It's actually been nice. I get emails that now remind me that say, "Hey, there's another one of these." Uh, oh, okay, good. Uh, but it doesn't. Up. They don't hit you with like fundraising requests every. Every no, week no, or no, I, I okay. not, not okay. that I've seen or if they have. Okay, good, good, good. Well, I mean, that would be the only thing, to yeah. be honest with you, that. No, uh, but it's it's great. I can you're, understand you're people them. not want to. I'll hit you up. I mean, well, at the end of the hour, I'll probably try to tear jerk you or guilt trip you into, uh, you know, giving a little money. But again, you don't have to. You can just say, well, it was nice hearing you. See you later until mm-hmm. next time. Uh, there's no obligation. You want to do it, great. I will tell you, quite frankly, that. Um, I was a little nervous about the first couple. The last one we had, we had a ton of people, like over 60 people, and the questions were fantastic. Yeah, I, 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 li- I was listening on that one. And it that was, was a blast, you know. And so uh, – Smart fan base. So even, even if uh, Monday on the 13th before Atlanta is terrible, I now have confidence in the format. And uh, yeah. so come by if you feel like it. If you don't, fine. Uh, hit you the can, registration you can see Brit- link. You can see Britt, uh, his setup that I'm looking at right now on the Zoom screen, which has approximately 300. Are those CDs behind you? Yeah, this is my CD room. Oh, uh, <laughs> and also, you know, you'll you'll see me sneaking sips of beer, which is another one of the great benefits of these things, because it's always an away game. Yeah. And I tend to usually have a beer before an away game anyway. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not writing that night. So, yeah, why not? You know, you might as well uh, settle in. It's one of the ways I enjoy basking, mm-hmm. watching basketball anyway. So, and it loosens the tongue. So, <laughs> it does. No, uh, check it out. I've, I've, I popped into at least two or three of them just to, uh, to, to listen in too. So, so check that out. Brill tweeted out. Um, and but, to add gravitas. <laughs> it's what? I said, and to add gravitas to the occasion. Oh, yeah. I like yeah, always say, yeah, and Dave Moore's here. I'll be like, last time I was, I like had my AirPod in. I was like cooking dinner. I was like, I hope he doesn't say that uh, to me because he'll be sizzling or something. But, anyways, uh, check that out from Brett. Check out his column. And I will be back to talk to you all on uh, a Monday morning uh, with Chris Hine. We'll, we'll see where that thing goes. Uh, until then, he's Britt Robson. Follow him on Twitter at Britt Robson. I'm Dane Moore at Dane Moore MBA. Peace out.
how I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah